This podcast is brought to you by J.C. Licht. With a heritage of 115 years of making it happen, J.C. Licht is your one-stop shop to turn your house into your dream home, delivering the ultimate decorating experience with the world's highest quality paints from Benjamin Moore, Faro and Ball, and fine paints of Europe, just to name a few. Bring new life to your home with custom home decor, wallpaper, window treatments, and more all under one roof. Visit one of J.C. Licht's 19 design centers, which features the largest selection of wallpaper, paint, and decor throughout the Chicagoland area. J.C. Licht, where designers go to make it happen. Welcome, everyone, to Design District, an interior design podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan, with the River North Design District, Chicago's ultimate destination for interior design. And today we're at Lightology in beautiful downtown Chicago in their beautiful showroom. And we're talking about everything lighting. Our special guests today are Ashley Rudder, ALA Lighting Consultant at Lightology, Mindy Viamontes, partner at M. Viamontes Architecture and Design, and Zach Pruitt, Director of In-Store Design at JC Licht. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for joining us today. So excited to get this uh, new episode of the podcast and really get to dive into everything that there is to know and talk about um, about lighting. So I think what would be really great is to just go around the table and uh, tell us a little, bit, a little bit about you and what you do, just so our listeners can get to know you a little bit more. So why don't we start off with you, Ashley? Sure. Well, I have been at Lightology for a little over 10 years now. Um, I started out with an interior design major and uh, started at Horton's Lighting few years there and ended up going over to Lightology. And since then I just fallen in love with lighting. So that's where I'm at. And what I do at Lightology is a little bit of everything. Um, it is a showroom. So, you know, you're able to walk in, peruse, you know, we can sell you just a standard fixture, but um, there's a lot more that goes on here. We go through floor plans with people, make appointments, sit down, go through, uh, you know, everything lighting in your home, really. Um, and I also work on bigger projects. Um, one exciting one that we're just sort of finishing up is Kansas City Airport. So, you know, we do a little bit of everything here. And uh, I know, I just love it. So, yeah. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Uh, and how about you, Zach? Can you tell us a little bit about you and JC Licht? Yeah, so I double majored in art and interior design and um, spent a couple years doing freelance graphic design work and found I really missed the interior design side. Um, so started doing color consulting um, for another paint company. I did that for about six years and I really, really love doing color in, in the showroom, in the home. Um, so, and I came to JC Licht about five years ago um, and worked out of their West Loop showroom. Um, that's where I learned everything about window treatments, wall covering, um, and have been there ever since. Um, JC Licht, we are Benjamin Moore's biggest retailer in the country, so that's primarily what we use for all of our color consulting. Um, but we also sell high-end win uh, wall coverings, window treatments, rugs, um, and can really help the end user with all the soft finishes that they need at the end of their project. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, thank you for sharing. And then lastly, uh, Mindy, can you tell us a little bit about you and uh, your firm? 
Yeah, thanks, Jonathan and River North Design District for having us. Um, I'm Mindy Viamontes, and I am a partner at M. Viamontes Architecture and Design. And we are a small four-person boutique architecture and design practice um, that my husband started about two and a half years ago. Um, and I've been with him for about a year and a half now. Um, both my husband and I practiced architecture for about 18 years before starting the firm. Um, and we specialize in residential design with a little bit of hospitality design as well. Um, and a lot of our projects are either um, historic properties or in landmark districts. So we really love um, working on historic properties and then combining that with, you know, bringing in um, modern interior finishes um, in that juxtaposition of old and new. That's awesome. That's great. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. Um, so yeah, to sort of kick us off a little bit into the, the topic of lighting and um, you know, really get a, a little bit more into the weeds. I, I'd love to just start off with a very open-ended, broad question, and that's uh, how important is lighting? How how important is lighting for spatial design, for architectural design, for interior design? Um, yeah, easy question, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I'm in this every day, and it's you know why I love it. If you didn't have lighting, you wouldn't have anything. Um, I mean, light is what lights up your interior. So without light, you really can't see, you know, the amazing interiors that you've, you know, created in the space. And so uh, that being said, you know, the placement of light is huge. Um, now with LED color temperature and huge. So as far as I'm concerned, and, you know, I'm biased because <laughs> this is my profession. I just, it, it is for me, like, you know, the end all be all. Um, so, and, you know, we can delve into placement and color temperature and all of that, but without light, you, you really don't have a space. So, yeah, yeah. I would, I, I would completely agree. I mean, you know, if we're color consulting or talking about window treatments or anything, we want to know what light is already in the space. Cause right. that's going to change how everything looks. It really sets the groundwork for the whole space. Yeah. yeah Zach, I was going to say lighting is everything. And I think we even think about seasonal depression and things like, you know, as daylight is changing through a space, um, people really feel that physically, right? So I think being in a space and both how we bring in natural daylight as well as how we're dealing with the lighting in the space um, controls the mood of a space. And often we talk about from a design perspective, what is that mood? But I think it goes above and beyond what you feel the atmosphere is in the space and really how you feel. I mean, we spend a lot of our time either in an office setting or at home, working indoors, um, and how we're dealing with both natural daylight coming in yep. and that lighting in the space is so important. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and one of the things I, I was curious to get your POV on, Mindy, that you kind of hinted on a little bit or touched on is natural lighting versus, um, you know, non-natural LEDs, ambient, um, you know, light from fixtures, and how does that, how do you approach that, especially when you're looking at historic properties? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think with LED technology coming on the market, we're seeing this even more in the sense that ideally, um, when it's bright outside, we don't want to feel that difference on the inside, right? So you don't want to create dark shadowy spaces. You want to have that daylight feel like it's streaming as far and as deep into a home as possible. And I think that's especially important when we're working on city projects 
um, where we may have windows at the short ends of the house, but a lot of times we're on property lines and we don't have the opportunity to bring windows and light throughout the entire home in the way that we would. Um, so matching that color temperature and making sure that it feels like daylight is streaming throughout your space is really important. And one of the really great technologies that's come on the market recently um, is smart bulbs that'll actually go into a fixture. Um, I know we talk about like what is the ideal color temperature and it used to be that you had to pick like did I want 2700 Kelvin that felt warm um, and ambient at night right, or right. do I want a 4000 Kelvin bulb that feels like natural daylight and now you don't have to make those decisions if you're going with the right technology. So you can have a light bulb that in the morning when that sun is coming up, it's 2,700 Kelvin. And as the daytime goes on, it automatically adjusts to 4,000 Kelvin wow. and then goes back down. And dealing with that level of technology, really, really don't perceive the, you know, the light in the space as anything but natural daylight. That is so interesting. I didn't know that light bulbs could change throughout the day. <laughs> Special light bulbs. Special yeah. light bulbs, yeah. <laughs> well, and it's, it, that's what's amazing about, like, LED technology now. It's, you know, they're calling a lot of it tunable, which basically is allowing you from, you know, a 2,000 Kelvin all the way up to, you know, a 6,000 Kelvin and everywhere in between. So you can have tunable where you can actually tweak it with the fixture. And not everybody is obviously doing that. Certain manufacturers are doing that, but um, Pure Edge, who um, is a company that is, we sell Lytology, they have a ton of fixtures that are tunable. And it's just amazing to be able to, you know, change it in like the flick of a dimmer to a really warm ambient tone to like a really cool daylight. Um, there's another company just to kind of touch on what you were talking about. Uh, there's some spaces that don't have, they don't have windows, you know, and people want to see and feel like they have that natural light in there. And there's a company called light glass that actually has these amazing, they look like windows and you can put them in your space and they do have like the cicadic rhythm where you can, it, it does change with the daytime and it's amazing. So there's a lot of things out there nowadays that you, you know, budget budget's always you know and like a thing but it, you can do it so it's amazing it's absolutely yeah. amazing so let me ask this since we're sort of on the topic of technology because i to be quite frank i didn't know about all you know tunable light bulbs and that's super fascinating to me because um just the idea of being able to adjust automatically adjusting lighting to sort of um I guess the the day's natural lighting outdoors. Do you find that more people are seeking that type of technology and almost making their different rooms smarter in a sense, or is that sort of still kind of um, the tip of the iceberg? Like, not it's not quite as widely known. Yeah, I think as an architect, it's really our responsibility at this point to educate clients of what's possible. I think sometimes clients don't even know what questions to ask because they don't know what type of technology is out there. So really understanding what they're trying to achieve in the space right. um, and what is the best lighting solution for that particular project and then really educating them on all of the products that are out on the market. And often really early in a project, um, we'll come out to like Lightology or other showrooms to just you know, have them experience the light fixtures and understand because you know lighting is one thing that um, we do have to plan for early in a project to make sure that we right. get right. Well, and we kind of run into that a little bit when, <clears throat> excuse me, we're looking at window treatments and things, you know, 
you can have it now where they're they set up where they can come up when the sun is coming up and you can ease the light in and they go down when the sun is going down and that kind of has to be pre-planned for just like all the lighting fixtures and you know you can sync those things up so that you get that nice cohesive light that goes all the way through the space that feels the same so yeah that's really interesting so it's, you're you're kind of saying that your house sort of adapts even even the window fixture or the um the window treatments are automatic you can set them to basically adapt throughout the day and yep yeah okay that's so cool i want to live in that house <laughs> <laughs> well and the other thing is is like i mean color temperature is so huge i mean especially with you and, and your you know painting wall color mm -hmm. i mean in, in, in any design but you know you could set something up and you think it looks great but then you put it under a different color temperature and it looks completely different so i think that's a huge thing you know a lot of people are like well you pick you know what do i want and i mean typically residentially like if you're doing a static color which means you're picking a color temperature it's not tunable you usually are between 2,700 and 3,000. That's what residentially you see a ton, but I don't make those decisions for people because <laughs> I've done that and that is not what you want to do. You know, you, you right. can get burned sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had a guy that is in the business and he did his own house in Naples. And I, I have found that down in Florida, a lot of people like a little bit of a higher color temp. He did all lay in recess lighting and I don't think he wanted to tell me, but he did. He picked three thousand. He ripped it all out and put in four thousand after it was installed. So, wow. yeah, <laughs> it is. It is such a personal preference, and that's why, like, you know, nowadays it's nice to have tunable. It's nice to have warm dim, which emulates like a filament incandescent light bulb. That's another thing, like. Tunable is usually going to be like your higher price point, you know, when you're talking about these things, but warm dims like now come down and, you know, if you, that's going to emulate what an incandescent does. And so, you know, you can still have like the best of both worlds with warm dim too. So, um, I would just keep that in mind, but yeah, I don't, don't make those decisions for people because, um, <laughs> you know, it can, it can turn around. It's always good to see it in person. So if you can, and it, you know, if you can, show people that's always like the best sure yeah you know, it's kind of like you do that once and then you learn yeah you learn, you learn quick, quick from that mistake <laughs> i mean we do that with with color all the time they're like right. well just pick one it's like no you really need to take it home and see what it's going to look like in your lighting because right. this is like fluorescent i don't know what you have it's really going to look different right so you should huh. really take this home and sample it before we buy that yeah. 15 gallons i of think paint the most important aspect though is that they have consistency throughout their space right the worst is when either you're renovating a particular room or you're dealing with a space or just a client that has changed out bulbs after the fact where you've got maybe a 2700 kelvin fixture and then like a 4,000 Kelvin fixture and you really start to notice the difference between those different fixtures within a space. Oh yeah. So whatever you decide is that color temperature, you need to make sure you're consistent in all of your fixtures throughout. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you this. What if you're, let's say you're, um, sort of starting from scratch, a complete renovation of a space. Do you tend to approach that process, um, sort of with lighting in mind? Do you approach it sort of give more weight to the lighting first versus the design? Or do you sort of work backwards from a design and a concept and then figure out if the lighting can complement it? Like what, what is sort of a best process for that? Yeah, when we're starting off a project, we always start obviously with a floor plan and figure out the space layout first, right? And once we have um, a layout, usually um, very early on, one of the next things we do is a lighting layout or electrical layout. Um, 
And a lot of times those are the first two drawings that are produced from us because I think that they tell the most about the space. Um, and we often have a lighting plan before we even start developing the interior elevations for a right. space. So I do think it's really important as to how you're thinking about integrating it into a space. And it's for us, we try to um, each room have at least three or four different light sources, right? We don't want... sure you know, a grid of can lights lighting a space that's the absolute worst. Mm -hmm. um, you know, <laughs> can lights should be used um, in very specific locations to highlight specific things. They should right. not be used as general lighting. So I think we think about, you know, integrating decorative fixtures with can lights in specific locations with maybe a cove light or an up light. Right. Um, we're doing a lot of wall sconces, even in okay. like living room, dining room spaces. Um, and then floor lamps. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really, how do you layer all of that light together? Yeah, layering's I think like the most important. You, I, you know, it's nice to be able to flip on a switch when you really wanna see everything, but you know, you don't always want that overhead light on all the time. I mean, I keep my under cabinet kitchen lights on as a pass through, you know, and I love that. And yeah. it's, it's something that, you know, is just, you don't think about it, but like, that's like my, like light to get through the kitchen, you know, at night. And I don't want like bright light on, or, you know, a lot of times like I'll put an led strip under a floating vanity or a toe kick. And it's just like those little accents that make such a big difference. Um, you know, that sometimes people don't think about, and that's, you know, why we're here, you know, right. to help with that. I know we never use our overhead lights. Everything is mm. either floor lamp or table <laughs> lamp or our undershelf lighting in yeah. the kitchen. Right. It's, yeah, we don't gravitate towards using it. It's a vibe. When you're yeah. cleaning, yeah. when yeah. you need to see the door. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so when company comes over, you turn down the lights, you got to clean, you turn those out. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and often in historic properties, when we're dealing with, like, say, a 1920s space, they're there wasn't overhead right. lights or mm -hmm. can lights, right? There was a, probably one decorative fixture in the room and a lot of sconces and people used floor lamps or other things, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, a lot of clients come to us and they try to gravitate towards the grid of cans, which I think is what we all, well, not all of us, but a lot of people think is like the appropriate way to fully light a room. And I think it's our responsibility to kind of educate them on what are the other options and how do we provide adequate light for the space and not every space needs to be super bright either, right? right. Exactly. I think it's really about right. the function of the space. Like a dining room, you know, you're not necessarily, right. unless you're using it also as an office, it doesn't need to have full-on light all the time. Right. Well, and, you know, the some things that kill me sometimes is, uh, you know, I call it the $30 miracle, a dimmer. Just put a dimmer on it, you know? <laughs> like, if you don't want it that bright, just dim it. Because most everything is dimmable now. And I mean, it blows my mind sometimes, like how many times I go into a space and it's just a switch. And I'm like, you know, how are you setting a mood? You know, right. how are you right. setting that mood? So like I say, it's the $30 miracle. Just throw a dimmer on it. Yeah, a friend of mine, <laughs> every time he would move into a like a new rental that was one of the first things he did he would have an electrician come in and swap all the switches out to dimmer switches yeah. and it's it's, it's great it's, it's night and day mm -hmm. it yeah. is night and day i feel like that's a new mantra throw a dimmer on it <laughs> <laughs> throw a dimmer on it yeah that's great no but it makes so much sense because mood is so important in design and you know f sort of creating an experience and, and it depends on the room too right like your living space might have a little bit of a different mood than your kitchen if you're throwing, I'm sorry, your dining room if you're throwing a dinner party. So 
I can totally see how dimmers are kind of should make sense as a standard, right? Um, Let me ask uh, what could potentially be a slightly controversial question uh, because you brought it up earlier, Ashley, those LED strips in kitchen design, Mm -hmm. right? In Mm -hmm. cabinetry. How do y'all feel about those? Because I've, you know, I've, I've heard some people, some designers that are, are either very pro LED strips or people that are very anti LED strips. And so I'm just curious to hear how y'all feel about those. Well, I think that what they're talking about is probably the bare LED strip, yeah. which you see the diodes on it, right? And right. that's not nice to look at. It's not nice to see diodes in a shiny surface if you have like a like a marble, you know? And so right. nowadays, I mean, I don't even really, I mean, I will sell that. I, mean, I sell it mostly for coves, toe kicks, like a bare strip. But when I'm doing under cabinet, a lot of times I'll put it in an extrusion. And all that is is an aluminum extrusion. It's got a lens on it and call it a day, you know, and then you and then you get rid of that and you don't see those harsh diodes. So um, I yeah, I could agree with that. Like, but nowadays I don't I don't really sell just bare strip for under cabinet any yeah. longer. It's all yeah. about crafting it, right? Making yeah, it look exactly. Great. Yeah, it's the yeah. execution of how you put it in. Exactly. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say it's essential, but again, it's execution. So like if we're doing a kitchen design, we're most likely doing the millwork design as well. So when right. we do extrusions, which we always do, we actually recess them up into the cabinet. And then we also have a lip on the cabinet so that you don't, you don't see, it see it at all. Right. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Um, kind of going back and talking a little bit about setting mood for different spaces. I'm curious about, you know, how do you sort of address that, Zach, when we're you're thinking about, you know, window treatments like or, you know, when you're trying to decide between um, shears versus privacy and blackout lining on drapery, um, like how do you go about, uh, you know, the different considerations for that? Yeah, I mean, we always start off with figuring out what they're going to use that space for. What's the function? Do they want something that is decorative and functional? Is it just functional? And then we kind of through process of elimination, figure out which route to go. Um, you know, downtown when we do a lot of projects, it's they have a view. They want to see the view. So we're typically doing like a screen shade or a solar shade where it's going to block all the UV light coming in, but you still get that view of the lake or right. Millennium Park or, or, you know, those sorts of things. Um, and most of the time for the bedrooms, they're going to want room darkening or blackout. So then right. you figure out, do you want complete blackout? Do we need to do a channel track that's going to run down the side so you don't have, you know, the light gaps that come through down the sides and the bottom? Um, do they want something decorative? We can throw the drapery panels off to the side to cover yeah, that light yeah. gap. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can layer all the window treatments and have, I mean, you can essentially get a sheer privacy and blackout within a few different treatments just by layering them all together. Right, yeah. And is there any sort of standard or standardization to how you address scale, you know, like, um, is there almost like, I don't know, for lack of a better term, like a, an equation or so? Well, I mean, for draperies, you typically want to go high, you know, that way it right. lengthens the, you know, everything feels taller, the window feels taller, you know, that sort of thing. Um, a lot of the the vendors that we work with, when you're talking like the hard treatments, if you're doing, you know, like a gliding panel or a panel track or something like that, they kind of scale all of that for you to fit the space of 
right. the windows, you know, it's all custom. So they're going to kind of take that legwork for us and make sure it's scaled appropriately for the window. Yeah, absolutely. And then, um, you know, in, in terms of like our, the uh, more historical architecture design and windows, how do you approach that, Mindy? Like, is there, do you kind of just let the space speak to you, the style that it was designed in, or do you sort of um, try to go more with what your clients are looking for, or is it a combination? Yeah, it's probably a combination. Um, normally when we're dealing with historical, um, we've got a lot of moldings or crowns in right. the room, right? So a lot of times like a recess track isn't usually the best approach in those spaces. Um, so we do a lot of drapery probably. Um, we're seeing Roman shades come back. I don't yeah. know if you're seeing that. I feel like there's a Interesting. big <laughs> trend towards Roman shades. So I yeah. think that's a great approach and a much softer approach and it feels more appropriate for a historic project property yeah. than a roller shade, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, if we're doing new construction, it's kind of an opposite approach. Um, I think we really think about how to integrate um, our window treatments into the space as we're designing it. So a lot of times we'll do um, a recessed cove where the track is, again, completely not visible. Um, we'll design the thickness of that so that we can get both a drapery pocket up there as well as our shade pocket. Right. Um, if we're going to do like a pleated um, drapery, we might do a recess track up in the ceiling so that that's completely flush with the ceiling. So I, again, I think it really depends on the style of the space and what we're trying to achieve. Yeah. Have you ever had a, whether it was a, you know, the, the style of the home or, um, architecture or a client that where you found yourself really having to make something just out of the box customized for window treatments yeah I, I mean I would say that most of our window treatments that we're doing are completely customized right, right? we're not actually you know going and buying an off-the-shelf type window sure. treatment solution so um Almost everything that we're doing, um, we're even sourcing the fabrics. Um, we're detailing what that design looks like. We've got several fabricators we work with here in Chicago that can fabricate those locally. So, Yeah, that's great. That makes sense. Um, I do have another question, sort of going back a little bit to um, just ambient lighting, uh, natural ambient lighting. How do you sort of supplement ambient lighting um, to fulfill sort of the need of task lighting in a way that doesn't feel almost intrusive so that it feels a little bit more um, almost natural, part of the natural lighting? It depends on the space, really. Um, I think one thing is if you have natural light coming in, trying to sort of match that, you know, color temperature of what's coming in with the light above you is going to be probably the most important if you're trying to, you know, emulate that. So I don't really know that there's a lot of like the recessed, uh, we do like true line, like recessed lines in the ceiling, um, and things like that. I don't necessarily know if that's the best way to do it, but it does give you a nice general light without having like a spot of light. So it does right. give you sort of this general light into the space. Um, and so it would feel sort of like you have more of a natural light coming in rather than like a recess can, if you will. Um, right. But 
I was thinking about like in um, primary bathrooms, a lot of times we'll do edge lighting around the mirror. So that mm-hmm. could be a way that that edge lighting yeah. is actually asking as a task light in exactly. that particular situation, but you don't really see it. Right. But otherwise, task lighting for us is usually a decorative object, right? It's right. a mm-hmm. beautiful, you know, task light sitting on a desk. It becomes right. a sculptural thing right. in the space where you actually want not it to blend in, but it to look like your task light. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to have something that's not necessarily there, you know, to to light it. You know, I mean, you know, like we're sitting above these linear fixtures. That's a go-to for a lot of people right, right now. And, you know, with the whole view thing, mm-hmm. it's it's the same thing. We have people that have condos and they want the light above their table. They want to light above their island, but they don't really want to see it. So they want something unobtrusive. So I think, you know, these like thin linear LEDs people love. And you see them, but they're less obtrusive and they do give you a, a nice like task light without being, you know, in your face. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Um, going back to something that you just mentioned, Mindy, about sculptural pieces. Um, I'm curious, how do you approach lighting for um, artwork or mm-hmm. moments in a home or in a, in a building in a design that? is meant to be highlighted. It's meant to be heroed in the mm-hmm. space. Yeah, I think it depends on what the art piece is. A lot of times um, clients who have an art collection, they have very specific pieces in mind, and we may um, get as detailed as providing, for instance, like a projector light, which is designed with a beam spread of a particular width, and it's set off the wall by a particular dimension that is entirely based on that piece. So when we're designing that, um, a lot of times we'll provide to the manufacturer, this is the piece that we're lighting, this is the height of the room, all of those specifications, so that we're installing a light that is literally designed for that piece. Um, But you may have a client that's not an art collector, right, who just wants to um, feature certain things on the wall. And I think, again, that goes back to thinking about our overhead can lights as highlighters for a room, and maybe you do an angled can that's facing the wall. Um, Maybe there's an art sconce or something else on the wall that's highlighting that. I think it really, again, just depends on the the piece and what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, and is there like a, a sort of a best color temperature when you are trying to highlight something like an art piece or Mm -hmm. a sculptural piece? Um, So again, totally depends on the piece, but um, a lot of those lights are built in with RGB. So they're actually color changing light, not that you're highlighting it with like pink light, but what it's doing is it's mixing a color with the white. So you're perceiving it with your eye as a white light lighting that art piece. Mm -hmm. But as you adjust that color temperature within it, it's maybe pulling the reds out of a piece or pulling the blues out of a piece. It's really, really playing into what that art piece is. And again, this is like for people who are collecting very expensive because a lot of these, you might spend $15,000 on a specialty fixture that's designed for that $100,000 piece of art. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, And what about for sort of the the more of the casual collector, right? Somebody that perhaps might have a few pieces, but the way that they approach art is really more as a design element. Like what is how do you approach that? 
I mean, it's one and the same. I think, you know, it's just you're not using as maybe higher end as high end of a, a, you know, a projector. You know, I mean, you're able to a lot of these newer recessed cans, you can actually adjust the beam spread up in the can, which is pretty amazing. So, you know, you can go from like a 10 degree spot all the way to a 60 degree flood. And some some people do change like the placement of their artwork in their space. And so it's kind of nice because if you have something that's recessed, that's trimless, that's adjustable, and that also you can adjust your beam spread. And if it's tunable, that's even better. So you have like everything all in this one can that you're able to do. Um, and so, you know, even if you are not like the biggest art collector, but you know, you have <laughs> right. like a decent, you know, art collection. You're proud of it, right? Yeah, you and you do change your things around. Like something like that could definitely, you know, like help with all of that. And the other thing is, is like some people are art collectors, but they want to feature like maybe more architectural things in their house. Right, right. Right. So maybe they have like this amazing tile that they bought and they want to feature that. Um, it's not a can that we use. We use grazers. So grazers are like a linear fixture that you place really close to a wall and it's called grazing because it grazes down the wall and it pulls textures out and it pulls the shadowing out. So gotcha. I love using grazers in like showers, like the back of the tile um, uh, and the front of a fireplace, things like that. And, you know, it may not be a piece of art, but it's an architectural piece in the house that you want to highlight. So I think that's just important too, as like artwork um, in a sense. Right, so, right. you know, absolutely. Yeah. I'm curious, what are the best ways to control natural light? Um, are there sort of like do's and don'ts, tips? How do you kind of approach that, Zach? Yeah, so I mean, in the world of window treatments, that's what they're all about is controlling natural light. How much do you let in? How much do you want to control it? Um, and there's a lot of different ways you can layer and mix and match all of you know these different window treatments. Um, you could have something that is like a dual roller or... Um, like a sheer shade where you can have it completely open, let the room during the day flood in with natural light. If the sun's getting, you know, to the west, you can lower it so it's a sheer and it's going to block the light coming in. You have a blackout roller behind it to block the light out at night or, you know, for your privacy. Um, draperies are another great way to control that. Um, you can have a sheer drapery, you can line it, you can have your blackout lining. Um, you know, I really think it's all about just how you layer all of these treatments right. together. Right. Um, I mean, we are now starting to carry a line um, where they weave the window treatments to the specification of the window. Oh, and wow. you can control the weave. You can have a 50% density at the top, 100% on the bottom. So it's, it's really gotcha. giving you full custom control of how you let the light in. That's interesting. So the weave sort of is tailored to how the light hits the space or the window, or do you kind of tailor it to the window itself? You, you can tailor it to the window itself because each treatment is woven for that window. You know, a lot of right. natural products, you know, people gravitate towards because it's the texture. It's, you know, letting some of the light leak through, but those are typically goods that are cut to the size of that window where when it's woven, it's going to control the tension for the window. Um, but then you can control the weave of that fabric to let as much light or as little light in as you want. I think that's so important to living in the city. Um, privacy is equally as important yeah. as how we control light. Right. And when we think about privacy, 
Um, we've got to think about, you know, views out as well. Yeah. So like during a lot of people gravitate towards black roller shades because in the daytime you can see out and it's almost like you don't have something in front of the window. It completely controls right. that. Um, but also making sure that what you see out during the day is what they, they see, see in at, at night. night. Yes. So, exactly. And I think that can be really deceiving with a black shade because when it's down at night, you feel like you're, you've got a blackout shade. Yeah. And the reality is, is there's like a peep show going on yes. in your apartment. Everybody's <laughs> no. watching you, right? I mean, that's one of the things when, whether we're talking to somebody in the showroom or one of our consultants are going out to the home, we have hand samples for all, all of those. So it'd be like, okay, this, whatever you're seeing now during the day is what people can see in at night. So like, this isn't what you want for your bathroom or your bedroom right. or like your guest room. This is for your main living space. Right. Um, kind of on top of that privacy though, you can also do shades that are top down, bottom up. Mm -hmm. So you can let the top down, still let the light in, but you have the privacy down below so people can't see it. Right. So that's those. a great alternative. Those yeah. are good. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. When people walk their dogs, everyone looks in through the window. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> so you gotta you gotta you gotta think about your window treatments, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, even thinking about like natural light and windows, um, entryways a lot of times there is natural light in entryways, right? So how do you approach uh, fixtures in an entryway? How do you approach fixtures in general, like the scale to help, um, you know, supplement some of that natural light? Yeah, I think when we're thinking about fixtures, and I assume you're talking about decorative fixtures, yeah. yep. um, to me, those become sculptural, almost art for the space, right? So it's not necessarily like rules of thumb of like, if your intro is this size, you right. need to have a fixture that hangs down six inches and is of this size. I mean, I think it goes back to mood and what you're trying to achieve in each individual space and how you scale that depends on how tall are the ceilings? What other elements do you have in a space? Right. What does that look like overall? Yeah, I mean, I think it's good to like know the rules of thumb. But again, to Minnie's point, I think you know, don't stick to that. I'm, I always go bigger, you know, in, in my space because I just, I like a bigger fixture. I like the way it looks. And a lot of times lighting is my focal point, you know? So, you know, if you're hanging something in a space, you may not have tall ceilings, like say that you only have a nine foot ceiling. Well, you know, you typically don't want to, if it's an entryway and you're hanging something, Usually you don't want it to hang below seven feet because that's that's right. like your personal space, right. you know. Right. But, you know, if you have the room, like, go for it. Do whatever you want. I mean, I just sold somebody this swinging chandelier. It's a lady with a chandelier that's swinging from, like, <laughs> it literally, it's the lady with a chandelier in her hands swinging from the ceiling. And wow. we have it in our showroom. And it's in their master bedroom. And I'm like, go for it, you know? So to each his own. And I think that's what's great about lighting is you can do whatever you want. Be Like, make it fun, yeah. you know? Yeah. It doesn't have to be a rule of thumb. I mean, as long as, you know, it's not, you're not hitting your head on it, Yeah. you know? Yeah, that, that would be <laughs> tough. I mean, have you all seen any trends? in in fixtures and chandeliers like is there sort of a, a thing that's happening right now god i just feel like anything goes lately yeah. yeah which is fun i mean i remember when i first started lighting you know what you did you sold people the whole the whole collection 
Like that's what people did. Yeah. You know, people would buy the whole collection, right. you know, and it was like, it was like the traditional, you know, with the Scavo glasses, awful. But I mean, it's come so far and you can do so much. And the nice thing is you can still mi mix like some styles and make it work as long as it flows nicely, you yeah. know? So yeah. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't, what do you guys think? I don't think well, that I there's mean, like a... No, I don't think so. And I think that when we get to the level of decorative fixtures, a lot of times we're talking about a really big investment piece as well for people. And I think it is just as much sculpture or art for the space. Yeah. I think sometimes we're seeing those type of fixtures aren't even really putting out that much light. So it's not about lighting the space as much as... Um, setting the mood or, you know, creating a unique type of sculpture within the space. And I, again, I love the juxtaposition of, you know, you think of like a really old Parisian apartment with this uber modern fixture in it or something very sculptural. Like that is something that's unexpected, I think is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and kind of going back to the scale of things, you know, when we are looking at window treatments, whether it's the actual hard treatment or a soft treatment um like it's how how do you play with the scale of both of those and make one kind of disappear and call attention to one i mean it's kind of we're seeing that trend with the draperies or soft roman shades where there's not really a rule of thumb some people may want to do a really large scale bold fun pattern and make this really big impact and mm -hmm. you can use a line um or like a cell shade or something where we can essentially color match your trim so that those things that are functional that you don't want to see disappear. And now you're seeing this really large scale drapery that essentially is becoming a focal point of the space. So yeah, that's you know, awesome. I don't think there's anything set in stone when it comes to scale. Yeah. No. What no. about, what about for dining rooms though? Because that's an, a space where you can't hit your head on it. Right. Well, I mean, I guess you might be able to, <laughs> if it's big enough. Right. But, but like, how do you address that? Is there a rule of thumb for dining room in height and scale? I think for us, um, that's always an area that we study a lot, um, at least in 2D elevation. Um, if not, do a quick 3D SketchUp model of it. And I had a client, we built a cardboard model of the light fixture first um, and hung it in the space to try to determine what the appropriate height is. Because again, I think it depends on um, the type of fixture that you're dealing with. It depends on the size of the table, the shape of the table, where people are going to be um, seated at the table and how many people are seated there because yeah you the worst thing is somebody gets up from their chair sits up and hits their head on the <laughs> right. chandelier right yeah so you at least want to make sure that the chandelier is falling within the footprint of the table and isn't extending out over people's heads yeah. right yeah. yeah that makes absolute sense you you don't want to have to call the uh the ambulance at a dinner party <laughs> that would be that would be not good um well, that's awesome. No, I, I think, you know, we touched on a lot of awesome topics and, you know, obviously the trend with fixtures is anything goes, as you said, throw a dimmer on it, right? <laughs> um, and last but not least, uh, smart window treatments and tunable bulbs, they are absolutely in. So um, I want to thank all of you for joining us on the podcast today and just sharing all of your knowledge and everything that has to do with um, making the most of lighting in uh, design and spaces. So um, I'd love for y'all to go around the table and just tell our listeners how they can follow you and uh, visit your websites and just basically keep up with all of the great things that you do. 
So again, my name is Ashley Rudder. You can find me at Lytology. Um, make an appointment online. It's uh, Lytology.com. And again, uh, make an appointment. We can go through your lighting needs and uh, all that good stuff. Thanks for having me. I'm Zach with JC Licht. You can follow us on Instagram at JC Licht. And if you want to book an in-home window treatment consultation or color consultation, you can find that on our website at jclick.com. And I'm Mindy Viamontes, and you can find us on Instagram at m.viamontes underscore arc, or you can go to our website at mviamontes.com. Awesome. So great having you all in. This has been Design District. Design District is brought to you by J.C. Licht. With a heritage of 115 years of making it happen, J.C. Licht is your one-stop shop to turn your house into a dream home, delivering the ultimate decorating experience with the world's highest quality paints from Benjamin Moore, Farrow and Ball, and fine paints of Europe, just to name a few. Bring new life to your home with custom home decor, wallpaper, window treatments, and more, all under one roof. Visit one of J.C. Lick's 19 design centers, which features the largest selection of wallpaper, paint, and decor throughout the Chicagoland area. J.C. Licht, where designers go to make it happen.